New Aaron Savali pitched a lot like old Aaron Savali, but the bullpen's still doing the same old things. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Nothing quite as fun and thrilling for me as when we're going to do a live feed and I don't know whether it's going to work, but I hit the button and I hit start and I just pray that everything's working the way that it should. I don't know. But it's kind of like being a front office member, waking up today, hoping everything goes well, just thinking that maybe everything will go as it should. But perhaps the Guardians have already put in all their work. Let's welcome in the hero of the morning, Zach Meisel, who I believe, I don't know, your, your exchange last night with Tito reminded me of the movie The Dark Knight Rises. And I know you've never seen it, but I'll explain the premise of what I'm thinking. Towards the end of the movie, Batman is back in Gotham City and he's confronting Bane and he needs the remote control detonator as the bomb is is wheeling its way around the city. And he's just, he's, he's in Bane's face. He needs to know, where's the trigger? Where's the trigger? That was you last night in the manager's office last night with Tito as you're just demanding, where's the pinch hitter? Where is it? So are the doors going to be open for you today? What do you think as you enter the clubhouse later this afternoon? That's a great question. I don't know. I mean, there's so much going on today. I feel like uh, hopefully they'll forget about me. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't know what to think or what to say about all that. Uh, do you want to start there or do you want to start with Savali? <laughs> well, I think... Some of this actually goes hand in hand, to be honest. Yeah. The, the frustration of where they're at in the season, the a trading of another veteran player, that leads to, I think, Terry Francona maybe taking out frustrations of a moment on a person that just happened to be you. So I think these two things are actually semi-related. For the most part, selfishly, I would love to just give you credit for asking the question that everyone was asking at the end of last night's game. The bigger picture thing is here, the the trade of Aaron Savali and what that signals for this team for the rest of the season, their outlook, and I think just kind of leading us down the path of is the frustration warranted by the fan base? How should people feel as much as we don't like telling people how to feel? It's weird. I... Punt, maybe because it's about to be Brown season, punt became like, the word du jour yesterday, and <clears throat> I'll keep saying this and I'll keep writing this, but punting on a season is when you're a good team and you have a golden postseason opportunity in front of you and you decide, nah, let's hang them up and try again next year. Punting on this season is just playing like crap for the better part of the last four months. Punting on the season is whiffing on your off-season moves. Punting on the season is continuing to play Miles Straw and Ahmed Rosario seven days a week. So there's no punting on this season. It's already been punted. You're just in the worst division in world history, and that's why you're in pseudo-contention. 
but it's August and you have a losing record. And it's more than that. It's you just look at this team. Does this look like a team that, yeah, anyone, you just got to get hot at the right time. Does this look like a team that's going to get hot at the right time? No, it's this team hasn't gotten hot yet. So, and, and it's, it's certainly in worse shape moving forward. I just, I, I don't understand people suddenly clinging to the 2023 season. Like everything's right there waiting for them. You know, it's, it's, you're going to be lucky if you get Bieber and McKenzie back in September. The offense is still a problem with many holes, and they haven't addressed that. So I just don't know why people are framing it. And, and it seems to be like I saw a lot of radio hosts yesterday just outraged. And it's like, but you were also outraged at how they've played for four months and weren't believing in them anyway. Why are you suddenly believing in them when they've traded the guy who was pitching well for him? It's just, it's kind of bizarre to me. I, I just, the best case scenario for this team, even if they kept Savali, was to, to what? Is that worth chasing? And and I don't love the trade either. Like, I, I it surprised me that, that this is the move they made, I think. Um, but, I understand the motivation for it because they don't believe that this is a team that is going to get hot at the right time or any time. It felt a lot like frustration misplaced because in a bubble, I think a lot of the Savali move makes a ton of sense. And the way that I would phrase it is in theory, I like it, perhaps love it, but that's in theory. Now it goes deeper than just what, is the total value here and you know what does it do for your organization for the next several years because you can't just ignore the fact that they are where they're at in the standings the division might be awful but it still is an opportunity whether or not you want to grab it the thing is here with with Savali as we laid out on our Patreon show I felt like the time was right to to move him because all the all the signs scream to me his value is never going to be higher and it ultimately comes down to the fact that I don't trust Aaron Savali to be this dude. I don't. I trust him more to be the maybe three, but closer to like the four, maybe closer to the back end starter. And I think that's probably what the Rays envision him as being as well. I don't think you, you fooled them into thinking they've traded to a for a top of the rotation starter. I think they just, we need somebody that is semi-dependable, that is, has some, some veteran, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, that can he can bring that Moxie. to our yeah sure whatever you want to call it that can bring that to our pitching Guile. staff yeah <laughs> just keep going to the thesaurus great uh, can bring that to our pitching staff because we really need that right now I do not believe that what Savali has been here recently is him I also have a pretty strong cynical outlook on how much he can be available just because he's been injury prone. And my biggest fear is that you let what is happening this season take away what could be a, a trade that sets you up very well for the next several years offensively just because, oh, well, the rotation is this and, and he's pitching really well right now. Well, I think the time was right to capitalize on the trade. The biggest question mark to me is, is Manzardo the guy that is the best use of that resource. Is he a guy worth believing in? Now, depending on who you're talking to, 
A lot of people really like this kid. Now, I can do a quick fan graph search and look at his stats and not be too pleased by what I see. There might be some reasoning behind that. We'll go deeper into the numbers. I think there are some signs that he's had some but bad luck that doesn't match to. up. I, I, so so here's where I'm at, though. Okay. I don't I don't care about him. I like I, I don't <laughs> No, because because he's either going to pan out or he's not. Right. And we've never seen this kid play like we're we're not the experts on him. And it doesn't matter. Like they they have tied tied their horse. What hitched their wagon? Hitched the, hitched, hitched their horse. Hitched their horse. <laughs> They've horsed their wagon to this kid. And for better or worse, like he's either going to to pan out or he's not. And so it's not like it doesn't matter what I say about him. And and like I'm not going to what I say about like that specific part of the trade doesn't matter. I'm not an expert on him, and I don't have I can't peer into the future. So that doesn't matter. But I understand the logic and the timing behind the trade. That's what matters to me. And that's why it's like, first of all, there's lazy people say, oh, he's in 238 and AAA. Like this guy, why would you? Like, okay. Like, I hope everyone who listens here is a little more knowledgeable than that. Um, the metrics look good under the hood. That That's, I guess, a little more reassuring. But again, I don't care. The point is, there are also people saying, like, how could you trade your best pitcher who... Two months ago, you would have said, you got a top 40 prospect for Aaron Savali <laughs> when he was on the injured list for the eighth time in three years. And you didn't want him starting the playoff game at Yankee Stadium. But now you're like, oh, this guy's going to be our ace leading us through October this year. And and so come like, let's be realistic here. Um, so I just this wasn't a season worth saving and it wasn't it wasn't a season worth like I, they're always going to look at things in a multi-year view and they especially need to do that and should do that now because this season just isn't, this isn't what you wanted. And I think tying back to Tito and all that, I think there, there's a lot of frustration everywhere. I think there's frustration in the clubhouse in terms of the team, not being able to, to get off the ground. I think there's frustration in the clubhouse with this trade. Cause I think it does send a message to those guys in there. And also, you know, it hurts your chances. Um, but also, I would say then you should have played better and it never would have gotten to this point. Sure. And I think there's frustration from the manager who probably sees, okay, like, didn't know how long I was going to do this, but the way last season went and given how young the team is and they should trend upward, like, I'll come back and we'll keep doing this. And I don't think this has gone according to plan. And I'm sure there are thoughts in his head about where he goes from here, too. Um, so I, I just, I think they're trying to make the most of a bad situation and the bad situation is bad because of a lot of things that they've done to themselves right? and also just young players who haven't progressed the way they had hoped and veteran players who haven't performed the way they had hoped. Well, I think that ties back to what I started with by saying it's a tale of misplaced frustration. The, the immediate frustration goes to the most recent thing that's driving you crazy in this case. You feel like you've punted the season by trading Savali. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold on to that for a second. But it all ties into what you just said. The real frustration is that they're in this position to begin with, that, they have, that they're not a team that is proving to the front office. They're just a small, subtle move here and there away from, from running away with this division. No, they haven't proved that. And a lot of it comes down to, yeah, they've had some some misfortune when it comes to injuries. There's no doubt about it. I mean, look at what the rotation was at the beginning of the year. Look what it is now. 
And on some level, you can say, how can you expect this team had any success this year? And yet, I still don't feel like it's the rotation that's really held this team back. It has been bad offense, especially early in the year, and it's gotten better here recently. It's been some odd managerial choices at the wrong time, and it's been a bullpen that, for the most part, has some guys that are talented, That, but here recently, they've all been almost ultra untrustworthy, but they've all taken turns being extremely untrustworthy. And as I said, going back to Patreon, there's two key elements here that had to get a lot better because I'm not sure that the offense is going to drastically improve and add some thump here. They had to catch the ball better, particularly at shortstop, and they've remedied that by putting in a much better defender there, and the bullpen's got to be better. Got to be much, much better. It's got to get on a run similar to what they put together last year. Well, once again in Houston, the bullpen bites them in the ass after Syndergaard, but we can also get into that coming up. There's a lot to really dive into here. Uh, you know, Syndergaard pitches well. Here comes the bullpen because they're forced into it, and Eli Morgan gives it up. Like I said, we'll, really we'll get there. Well? we'll get there. We'll get there. Damn it, we'll get there. I can't get everything out that I'm thinking in the first five minutes of the show. So save some things, okay? By the way, welcome to the Selvius Guidecast. <laughs> welcome to the live stream at YouTube. Well, if you're listening to this later, Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you catch this show, thanks for being here. If you listened to the show that was relevant for 20 minutes at Patreon yesterday, thanks. We appreciate that. It was that. more relevant than you think. We talked a lot. Like We don't need to talk get in the weeds on the Savali trade now because we can just point them to our prescient podcast from a day earlier. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, I've I've kind of struggled to put all of my thoughts together in a way that I can I can relay it that makes any sort of sense because it's just a jumbled mess up there. I know you're feeling that as well. And I think some fans have through their frustration voiced that too. See, I think it's really boring when you just get on here and you say, I hate the trade. And it's equally as boring to come on here and say, I love the trade, because let's be honest, there are some things that were that were very smart, I think, in, in moving Aaron Savali. There's also some huge risk that they've tied to one prospect, and they never do that. They never put all their risk into one prospect basket. Might tell you a lot of what they think of this kid. That exactly. They're not, they're not <laughs> trying to mitigate that risk by trading for three prospects. I don't know. I mean, it was kind of bold, right? Like, I give them credit for that. They've sort of, like, they've become so predictable. They won't trade their own prospects to improve. And when they trade their, give them credit. Like, they know the exact right time to trade a starting pitcher, right? They've nailed that part of the equation every time. But they always trade, they do the safe trade. Uh, Give us a couple major leaguers who can help a little bit. And don't give us your top prospects. No, no, no. Let's just give us a couple. Give us like your number seven, your number 12. <laughs> and like, yeah, the trade will look good because like one guy will be playing well and they'll be like, oh my God. And they still have five other guys we haven't seen. The Clevenger trade is going to be a huge yeah. victory. But it's funny how like at one time we said this is a huge victory because Cal Quantrill was awesome and Owen Miller was hitting 400 in A. And at other times, it's been like, we haven't even seen Gabriel Arias yet, but he's been tearing up spring training. And other times, it's like, Joey Cantillo is throwing 96 now in the minors? Oh, my God. And in reality, it's, oh, Josh Naylor's a middle-of-the-order hitter. Okay, that's that's why it's going to be a great trade. But, yeah, so them doing one-for-one one tells you they really believe in this guy, and he better be good. But that's, again, why we don't need to talk about I know you don't care. His, yeah, it's... <laughs> When it happens, it, it happens, and it's great. And then we can grade the trade. And if it doesn't, then yeah. 
that's that. Well, that's why I say I like it in theory. In theory, yeah. I think it's it seems really good when the guy looks like he could be Joey Votto with a better glove and more power. They all this silly things we say about prospects before they come up. I don't know. This Owen Miller kind of looks like Dustin Pedroia, if you ask me. <laughs> okay. In the moment, it's easy to say those things. So I, I, I've got so many different thoughts that it's been tough to just even figure out where to start. But the thing that that you began the show with by mentioning just the, this epic rise of Aaron Savali, even two weeks ago, I don't even know that a lot of people knew that you could have fetched a top 50 prospect for this guy. That ascension, historic. That is absolutely historic on Savali's part. I mean, that to me impresses me that he could go from six weeks ago an afterthought to a lot of people to you traded him and the season is punted. That to me blew my absolute mind. And I thought about it, like the, the feeling of punting. Yeah, you traded away two guys that are part of the veteran players that are part of your team. But then I thought a little bit more. They traded Ahmed Rosario and Aaron Savali. I laughed out loud because you guys don't even like these players. <laughs> You're so full of it. You don't like Aaron Savali. You definitely don't like Ahmed Rosario. This is hilarious. <laughs> Come on. Come on, you guys don't like these players. I've got months and months of worth of receipts to prove you don't like these guys. What are we talking about here? <laughs> But if I would have told you in March that come August 1st, Noah Syndergaard would be the only non-rookie in Cleveland's starting rotation, what would you have said? What the hell happened here? What, what yeah. happened here? But doesn't that speak to the bigger premise here, why this isn't punting? It's been... Like you can't punt when you don't. You don't even have possession of the ball. It's the other done. team has the ball. You're it's, not punting. It's done. Been punted. Yeah. <laughs> part of it out of their. Hey, in in fairness here, part of it out of their hands. You don't have your best pitchers. Right. Part of sure. it out of your hands. The other part, much very much within your hands. So I I want to be fair here about how we're assessing blame for how this is gone. And I think a part of the calculus here is that. Even if, if you think, all right, we, first of all, I don't think, I think they're skeptical about whether they can even fend off the twins in their current state. And I think a big reason is that it's, how are you getting to the finish line? We've talked about it ad nauseum. The three rookies are creeping up toward their innings limits and you can get creative to maybe make sure that you're giving them an extra day here or there, or just like pulling them at the right time. Also, like the bullpen has been, it's been brutal at times. It's been exhausted at times. It's been good at times, but it's just like, if you're going to lean on that to get you to the finish line, I don't know that that's the right strategy. So without knowing whether Bieber and McKenzie are going to come back, like they're hopeful in September at some point, but like Bieber's best case scenario is he's available for like two and a half weeks. So what are you really going to get out of that? So then you're starting to think, okay, if we can get to the finish line, like, is there a way you can get to the finish line and also have Tanner Bybee available to start game one or game two of a playoff series? Like, it's it's really tricky. So I just think they didn't think they had the starting pitching to get there. And I think, so obviously without Aaron Savali, you certainly don't have the starting pitching to get there, but I don't think they felt they did even before this. I think to me this signals that the Guardians have major questions not only about the rotation and whether or not they would be a legitimate contender even reaching the playoffs, 
But I think it stems more from the sustainability or lack of faith in sustainability of Aaron Savali, both in performance and in staying on the field. I'll keep harping on this Clevenger thing because I think it's relevant and you laugh about it every time, but I believe it's relevant. They, you'll never sell me that they didn't trade, that, that they traded, I'm getting caught in a double negative here. When they moved Aaron Savali, or when they moved Mike Clevenger, I truly believed they thought this is a ticking time bomb. We need to cash in now because we're not sure how long he's going to stay healthy. And they did it. And if that was truly what they were doing, that proved to be pretty wise. They'll say that it wasn't, but I truly believe that it was. I think Savali is something similar. Maybe not to the same level that they thought his arm's going to explode, but a lack in faith that he is going to continue on this path of being as good of a pitcher he is, looking at stats that really are propped up by probably something that's not very sustainable. And two, this guy continues to be someone that they can't count on to give them a full season. Fair or not, that's what the track record suggests. So I, I think the Guardians look at this and they think, with the way that he's pitching, given the market that it is, we need to act because this is, we're, we're taking advantage of a situation here. It's not about where we're at in the standings. It's about how do we maximize something that will never be close to this level of worth in value. So we need to move him now. And so I look at that and I completely understand that. And I think in a lot of ways agree with it. Here's where I get tripped up. You're trading him to the Tampa Bay Rays. If you were trading him to any other team that's not as smart, <laughs> that's not on the same level, then I would, I, I would probably even feel better about it. But to me, I wonder, what do the Rays think about Manzardo? Do, do they see something that they're just like, eh, he might be good, but we don't think he's quite as good as he once was. That's why we're okay trading him for someone that we see all the same signs that Cleveland does. But we're willing to do that because we really need that right now. It might not even be that they think that that there's some major warning red flag about this prospect, but they're the Rays, and I think that they're very smart. And that's where it comes down to, I think, two teams that are trading someone that maybe they view they're not as high on as other people are, and they want to just flip them. They want to take, the, you take this asset that can help you now, you take this semi-risky asset that we maybe don't believe is going to be as good as we once did, let's just make this move because it might end up benefiting both of us in the long run. Does that make sense? Because that's kind of what I feel like happened here with these with this one-for-one one trade. Yeah, I mean, I I also don't want to bash Savali on the way out. I mean, he's he's been an upstanding guy, and he's been... I mean, he's... I predicted that... Wasn't that my prediction that he'd have this huge bounce-back season, right? So, like, I'm certainly a believer. He also had a 492 ERA last year. Like... He's been in the majors. This is his fifth season. There's been, it's been like half pretty good, half pretty bad. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's capitalizing on peak trade value. That's all this is, and it's just they felt it was the right time to do it because the season isn't going according to plan. That's it's that simple. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know the like. If players are grumbling, and I know there was some grumbling, and and maybe, I don't know, maybe Tito will use my face as a dartboard, and and it'll galvanize everybody. But like, if you're pissed about it, you should just look inward because if the team was ten games up in the division right now, I don't think they're making this trade, right? So it's and that's not all on the players; it's on the front office too. But that's also why 
as we've talked about earlier this season, it's, it's when Sports Talk Radio wants to do the, who deserves the blame this year, A, B, C, or D? No, it's everybody. It is everybody. If you wear Guardians gear and you are employed and your paycheck says Paul Dolan's name in the bottom, like you're probably to blame in some part for what's happened this season. So it's just, there have been injuries. There have been regression. There's been just bad luck and poor sequencing. But you add everything together, and that's how you get where they are now with Noah Syndergaard, the ace of your staff. <laughs> oh, my God. I still want to get to that. Yeah, I, I just. Do we have to? Why? It's, it's, it's because it's funny. It's not so much a predictive thing or really important thing, but it's just a funny thing. Uh, no, I really believe, kind of as you're saying, too, and, and it just suggests more about what I think the organization views Savali's true value to be and you weigh that against what he's doing now and how much it helps you now but if you feel like there's a, a massive fall off here like imagine being in this front office and thinking this is a guy that we don't trust to even stay healthy or we don't trust to pitch deep into games they're never going to say this publicly but privately maybe this is just my theory imagine you hold on to that guy and you don't trade for this young kid that you really like and then Savali's back on the shelf in three weeks. Or Savali's just pitching more to what his metrics would suggest, which is he's a good pitcher, but probably not a two-and-a-half ERA guy. I think you would be kicking yourself. And then we'd be back here having this same conversation. When Daniel Espino got injured, everyone said, why didn't you trade him for Sean Murphy? (laughs) Right, right. And Sean Murphy's the guy that, I mean, if you're looking at where they punted the season, maybe it was not acquiring him. Uh, you know, that that's the the guy that could have had this massive impact on this year. But at the same time, God, I hate doing this. But to look at both sides of this, you probably would have had to de- had to part with some pitching that you now desperately need and have needed up to this point. We're just going to keep going round and round in the blame circus. But the reality is here. Some of it is out of their hands. Some of it is very much within their hands. Some of the managerial choices. I, I don't get like the <laughs> we don't need to do this whole mile straw thing because Tito was wrong last night. That's it. That's it. I don't have anything else to add other than he was wrong. Miles Straw, even if you think, well, if he hits a grand slam here, we're still down by a run. There's a chance that Tyler, a much better chance that Tyler Freeman gets on base or David Fry gets on base than does Miles Straw. So Tito was wrong last night. And you were right to bring up the names that you did. I mean, if he would have answered the question and kept it at that, it's over, right? But he turned it around on me and asked me a question. I, I have to answer it. Like he was looking at me, waiting for me to answer. So, <laughs> because if you don't answer it, then he says, "Well, you didn't do your homework, or you didn't come in here prepared. You're just throwing questions at me." Which is kind of fair. If you don't have anything else to suggest, and you're just lobbing bombs, that's not a good question to me. And here's the thing: this is not the first time I've asked this. It's not. But I haven't gotten a good answer. And I will keep telling you guys, this is the whole issue here. I know Terry Franklin is not going to throw any player under the bus. I know that. But the question still needs to be asked. And he knows that. He has said to me this season, we had a dispute in like May. We didn't see eye to eye on something regarding Rosario and Jimenez and bunting and hitting second and all that. And we talked through it for... 20 minutes. And during this, he said he welcomed, he invited 
like strategic questions. He said, I have no problem answering questions on strategy. It's like, I invite those because I need to be prepared and answer them. Well, there you go. And I'm sure, as you pointed out, like, I mean, this is a day they made a big trade. It is less than 24 hours to the trade deadline. It's a team sort of in flux. And a manager, whether he wants to keep doing this or not, he's toward the end of his career. So I get it. But I have a job to do, too. And it is, I, I said, I have said this to him in recent weeks. I've said, do you find it strange or crazy that your defense first center fielder always seems to be at the plate in a big situation in the ninth inning? And it's like, this shouldn't have been shocking to have asked. And if it is, then that's maybe a referendum on some things too, because to not even consider the other options that you have on the bench, you could hit in that situation. I don't know about that. Yeah. And also like, if you just don't believe in, because the three players I named are all young players. And if you just don't believe in them, then you can craft an answer that says straws, a veteran. I like the bats he had tonight. I'm going to stick with him. That's all you had to say. Yeah, right. But then when you combat with, I, I, we needed a base runner. Well, I believe more in Freeman and Fry's ability to become a base runner. And I believe more in Gonzalez's chance to run into a pitch that he crushes over the fence and brings you within one run. And they're like, well, we need more than four runs. Okay, well, getting four is a nice way to start. I don't know about you, but I'll take that. We got some questions rolling in, some responses. We can get to those on the live stream over at YouTube. Thank you for being here. Uh, this was We did not announce this at all, but just because of our schedules and Zach had to stay up late and he was writing articles, so we've tried to come back and, and get this, this in before the deadline. I do want to ask you, because you've had some, some conversations with people that, about the guy that you don't care about, but people do care about what other people think about Manzardo, and this is a guy that you and I haven't seen other than viewing some highlights since the trade. I can go and look at some stats. I can look at some expected stats that I've retweeted on, on my, my X account, whatever the hell it's called. And it does suggest that he's run into some bad luck. This, of course, is someone that's dealing with a, a shoulder issue. From the evaluators that you've spoken to, what are they saying about it? Because he looks intriguing as hell. But that's about mm-hmm. as far as you and I can go because we don't, I mean, other than reading into the stats and viewing a, f- a couple of highlights, that's where our knowledge ends on this guy. Yeah, and and... This is the thing, too, is like I hate putting too much stock into this because some prospects flame out and some thrive, right? Like, so I don't know. And even the experts evaluating this kid don't know. But like, he seems like a safe bet to at least be a really productive, uh, to, to be a productive hitter in that the bottom line is, is what this team likes, that safe profile where he makes a ton of contact, draws a ton of walks, and does not strike out much. And so you have that, but different from maybe some other guys in the organization, there's, he hits the ball hard a lot. So that's why you see people projecting him to be a 40 doubles guy. And there are questions. Does that translate eventually to more power over the fence? Is he going to hit more balls in the air? What's the launch angle, et cetera, et cetera. I think that also could play into why the numbers have taken a step back this year. Cause I think he's trying to figure out what he is too. 
I think the Rays were trying to figure out what he is. The Rays, remember like earlier in the season, when they were 29 and 5 or whatever they were, they were hitting like six home runs a game. Like it was just everyone in their lineup. Harold Ramirez was about to be the MVP, right? And there was a clear, I, I read a little bit about it. I was talking to some people that said, you could just see a clear organizational shift in offensive strategy where, and it sounds so simple. I'm like, why doesn't everyone do this? But it was just identifying pitches you can crush, basically. And I think Josh Naylor's done a good job of that this year. Um, but it seemed like everyone in the Rays lineup was doing that. And I wonder if that trickles down into the minors too, especially with a guy like Manzardo who's not far away from the majors, where they're just changing his approach a little bit and seeing what he can do with it. Because I'm sure it was his first professional, his first full season in 2022. He's probably just doing what he's always done because it's always worked. So maybe this is the first time where they're implementing some, just try this out, just swing at these pitches more and swing this way and see what happens. And maybe it doesn't work and you go back to what you do best. Or maybe it does work and you can blend some of it in and, and you become the best hitter you can possibly be. I don't know what the answer is. That's why I'm all, I just like, I, I'd rather spend more time talking about Savali and the team than this kid because he's just turned 23 and he's like, maybe he'll be a really big part of the team next year. Maybe he'll be a big part of the team and he'll start hitting in three years. Like, I don't know. But. I, several people, there was no one I talked to who was like, why'd the Guardians do this? Anyone I talked to was like, like, I heard from a second party, like someone from the Rays who was like, uh, like we needed to do this trade, but we, we really didn't want to give this kid up. And then just people from other organizations who were like pretty surprised that they, they parted with him. Now they have tons of depth, especially at like those types of hitters in the minors, the Rays do. So that makes a little more sense, but I don't know. I mean, it, it, I think what you said is kind of the bottom line here. If they're going to do a one for one deal, they must believe in this guy. Like they've never believed in a prospect before. Right. You would Especially since so. they already have two first basemen. Exactly. Exactly. I, I think your point about, people changing their approaches and, and what they're doing at the minor league level, making it difficult to always be able to decipher based just on stats, what the full story is, is very real. And, and my, my example would be Brian Rocchio. Do, do people here still really value Brian Rocchio? Do they think he's got a good possibility to be the shortstop of the future? I think within the organization, yes. And externally fan, within the fan base, yes. But if I looked at his stats, like if I was uh, uh, an observer that was coming in from, Another team that was, let's say, trading for Brian Rocchio, I would say, oh, look at this guy. He's, he's got speed. He's got power. What, what happened this year? Because he's run, rocking a 104 WRC+. Plus, so he's 4% better than league average at AAA. And yeah, he's hitting 290, but he's got three home runs. Where'd the power go? What happened to this guy? Is this a guy that you have to be displaying some serious warning signs about? It might go deeper than just, oh, his power disappeared. Because do I think that he just... The, the ability for him to hit double digits in the minor leagues like he has done in the past just evaporated? No, I, I think there's a good chance that they've been working on some different approaches. And I look at, like, his walk rate. 
and it's much higher than it's ever been any point in his career. And his strikeout rate is much further down than any point in his career. And it leads me to wonder, did they tell him, hey, we know you can hit for power, but we need you to focus on a little displaying a little bit more patience and making a little bit more contact. And not that we want you to be this hitter once you reach the major league level, but we want you to craft some of the best of this into your game. And through the process of working through it, that's what has arrived at the fact that he's only hit three home runs this year. That could be a very similar thing with Manzardo. You know, we want you to make some subtle adjustments here. We know that you can do this and or do that, but we want you to focus on key areas and don't worry about what the batting average says because what we value goes way beyond that. And we know you're working through things. So don't panic when you're looking up at the stats and it's not what you typically do because we want you to just have a, a very critical focus on one or two very specific things. I don't know if that's the case. It, it, it's what comes into me being extremely intrigued by this kid, but also acknowledging that there's some massive risk with any prospect because not all of them live up to being even solid major leaguers. But it does kind of look like a kid I would bet on. Long term, if I was looking at this kid in this profile, I would more often than not say, yeah, I'm going to bet on this kid being a pretty good hitter. That's why they say don't scout the stat line in the minors. But it doesn't matter. I mean, he'll either be good or he won't. <laughs> and that's, okay. that's that. They'll but, either win the trade or they won't. But going into next year, what is the thing that this team needs? More offensive thump, right? How are they going to change that? How is that going to uh, change? That's why I don't have a problem with the trade. You have limited avenues to improve your deficiencies, right? And we said it on the Patreon podcast yesterday, and this is why still go listen to that. There's a lot of merit to it, even though it came right before they traded Savali. Just fast forward 30 minutes in, whatever. <laughs> but they weren't going to be able to do the whole, hey, take Rokio and Valera and Justin Campbell for your stud to, like the Orioles don't want their prospects right now, right? The the Cardinals want like major league ready pitching. Um, like the the matches weren't there to make the sort of trade that was going to fill their biggest need, which is I mean they still haven't addressed the outfield. They're still banking on Gonzalez or Valera eventually being a solution out there. I don't know if like I wouldn't go into twenty twenty four with that setup, but. This was a way to add someone who just hits. He just hits. And the worst case scenario for him is like he'll be, I don't know, Ben Broussard. Oh, no. Well, I guess that's worst case scenario. The end result is you end up trading him for a really nice player later on down the the line. And the best case scenario is he's (laughs) Travis Hafner. (laughs) Even that, I don't know if that's right. I don't know. But the the point is like it's. Like, I understand the trade, and I understand the fact that, like, they thought Bieber was going to be the way that they can add a stud outfielder, and then he got hurt, and now he's not going to have nearly the same trade value this winter. Yeah. So what was your way to fill this hole? It was to trade Savali. And Savali, for as important as he is to the rotation right now, I don't think you would have looked at him as that key cog next season. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's what I mean. That's why you're capitalizing on this now. Yeah. I, I think maybe this would change the way people felt if they got a more major league ready to step in player right now. But where was that going to come from? Where was that going to? I mean, we we talked Orioles. We tried to make a match there. Um, 
it ends up being Tampa Bay. The fact that it is Tampa Bay probably raises my level of panic than it would be for any other organization because Cleveland does not have a good track record dealing with Tampa Bay. I made the joke on Twitter. People didn't realize that I was shitposting, obviously, but I did not mean to actually compare Jake Bowers to Kyle Mansardo. Was that I was just making a joke about trading with the Rays and for prospect first baseman, and a lot of people ran with that as being my actual take on the trade. No, no, I was just making a stupid joke. Obviously, you don't know me very well. <laughs> if I can have a chance to try to be funny and really funny in my own head and everyone else just cringes, I'm going to take that. But I do think it's because it is the Rays that it offers me more pause than I think in any other situation. What do they see about Manzardo or what do they think they can unlock in Aaron Savali? Truth is, they probably both recognized the flaws in both players and said, no, that is what we need right now. And so they just pulled the trigger on it. I think it's that simple. It's not that deep. It's not punting. Speaking of which, let's go to our mentions where that word has been used a few times. Uh, here, here in the live chat, yeah. <laughs> DB Collins is going crazy. Blame goes on everyone. Front office going to backup plan with Zanino instead of getting Murphy is to blame. Tito playing Rosario every day at shortstop and blowing half a dozen games with from his awful defense is to blame. Tito mishandling pitching is to blame. Injuries to Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrill, and others to blame. He's right. A lot of it does get spread around. No one player or one manager or one front office member is to blame. It is a collection of things happening here that is very much to blame. Uh, he also goes on, Jimenez, Quan, Gonzalez regressing is to blame, but the front office and the manager set the tone for the entire season. Trekkie 271, I don't get the punting narrative when every projection system has Savali at a half a war to 0.8 F war for the rest of the way. Really only changes the outcome if we fall one, maybe two games short. And one, two games short of what? An AL Central title? Is anyone going to get excited about that banner next season? Are you going to buy tickets specifically to watch them rip the tarp off the <laughs> the pillar in right field where it shows the flag? I just, I still can't believe that Aaron Savali has come this far. Kudos to him. Two months ago, people didn't even care if he was in this rotation. Like, oh, he's on injury rehab? Who cares? I don't even yeah. care. Don't even care about it. Don't. It's like what, what people feel like with Quantrill. That's what people felt about Savali two months ago. <laughs> to the point where trading him becomes becomes punting of the season. Savali in particular? No, I still believe it's more frustration just funneled into Savali, but it's really about this whole big picture here. Uh, Kevin says, don't think this is a bad move. Just don't understand the return. Hasn't Naylor solidified playing first going forward? Manzardo can't play any other positions. Naylor going back to the outfield. Bell is back in 24. The Bell part of it's interesting. Because I think the only way to get him out of here is to play him every single day the next two months. You need him to get hot. If he gets hot, maybe he opts out. If he gets hot, maybe he has a little trade value if he opts in. So how do you get him hot? you got to play him. Sitting him on the bench doesn't do you any good. So it's a shame because it probably eats away some at-bats for Fry or Gonzalez, but I think you have to do it. I don't know. They just need a base runner, and none of those guys can give them that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mentioned Bell being a potential trade candidate. I'm not saying like it's a foregone conclusion that he would be, but I think people miss on what the market is for hitting right now, and the fact that yeah, you wouldn't sell him to get anything great back in return. It's, it would be sort of similar to Rosario, where your your value is more just freeing up the at bats. 
And I think a team, especially if they worked out something financially or they brought back a player that made something that kind of offset the, the values there, I think Bell would have some value to somebody. I, I don't think he would be an absolute zero. And his value as far as we would take that guy, we would play that guy. I'm just, you're not going to get anything of value back for him. That's That's just the reality. But here's the thing. Imagine if they do that. Let's say they trade Bell. And let's say they even have to either chip in some cash to make it work or take back a player making cash that is not going to help you. That would be both of your free agent acquisitions that you gave up on before the end of the year that were, especially Bell, was supposed to solidify the middle of the lineup. And by August, you're asking for a player to, or asking for a team to just take them off your hands. You're begging them to do that. That's not a very good uh, track record for what happened this past offseason for the front office. Yeah, I, I I mean, we've. This is a referendum on them, right? I, I think a lot of times, I mean, think about the, the 2015 trade deadline. Well, I think it was a week after when they still had waiver deals. Like when they traded when they dumped Swisher and Bourne on the Braves for Chris Johnson, Spider-Man. Like that. That is on the front office. That's we effed up royally. And we have to do this move. Like imagine when they signed Swisher and he was, he said bro a hundred times in that introductory press conference. And like everyone's having the time of their lives and they're, they brought out Jim Tressel and who else did they use to, to woo him to Cleveland? Like that was Dustin Fox. Okay. Yeah. And like, imagine saying on that day, yeah, well in a couple of years, you just, you're going to dump this guy for nothing and you're going to be glad you did. Like, it's crazy. Um, but it, it's it's a reflection on the front office. Just it didn't work. You messed up. And Michael Bourne, actually, in attendance last night. <laughs> That's right. At Minute Maid Park. Um, just baseball it just, up. Yeah. I, I agree. With, I mean, I think, like, they – I don't think they've had a great year here. And I think this is, like, the fact that it's gotten to this point and some of the things you're you're considering and, and like ways you think you can get better going into next year are how do you get away from the moves you made this year? That's not a good indictment on the, the front office's work. And I'll say it again. We both like the bell pickup. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. I was wrong too. And the front office, you got to be smarter than you and I. Got to be smarter than the two of us sitting here. <laughs> then maybe they should stop listening to the podcast. They and they, we know we have receipts that they actually do. Uh, best comment we've gotten so far comes from Mickey. I agree, TJ. I don't know if I even need to read anything else at the end, but okay. At the end of the day, this is a pitching organization, and I'd much rather get a controllable player while Savali value is the highest it's been in the past two years. Hoping this pays off. Sam says, "Do you expect any more moves today?" Antonetti, like weirdly. Hinted at it, and he never does that. Hinted that they would maybe try to acquire a pitcher. What kind of moves, Hiram? Um, I, I don't know. I like that. That's the thing. Is like at this point, why are you? Why are you trying? I guess you need just healthy bodies, but yeah, I know the thing with the Savelli trade too. On that previous comment. I wrote this, but like they traded what they do well, what they can develop 
for what they cannot develop. Manzardo has all those traits of like their ideal hitter, but they haven't been able to produce their ideal hitter. So they took what they do. Like it is much easier for them to replace Savali to find someone who can do that than to produce what they haven't been able to produce. Makes sense. And they're doing it at the peak of that guy's right. value. Um, I, I think this is where I feel like everybody should acknowledge the positives and the negatives. Like, If you're just screaming today, you have to acknowledge, at least acknowledge the fact that they did cash in at the right time on Savali. You have to. I'm not saying you have to love it, but you can at least say, yeah, they, they did that. Maybe you don't like the return. Maybe you don't like the timing, but they absolutely cashed in right when they when they probably should have on Savali. And if there's one thing this organization has proven pretty good at over the years outside of Bieber, they cash in on their pitchers when they need to. I mean, Kluber, you couldn't really do much with that because Kluber was hurt that year prior and they weren't going to trade him prior to, to that. But then they turned around, the one year remaining, they didn't like go into the season with the guy. They traded him. They proved to be right on that. Clevenger proved to be right on that. I mean, this organization has a pretty good track record that maybe I need to just trust. If they're giving up on a pitcher or if they feel like they can give up on the pitcher, there's probably something to that. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, like, don't trade with the Rays. First of all, if I hear another Jake Powers comparison, like, get over yourselves. The the hitters themselves, very different profiles. Sure. And, like, I think some people point out, like, the Rays traded Joe Ryan for two months of, Nelson Cruz's corpse, like they've screwed up before, and it doesn't even have to be a screw up. Like this could be a good trade for both teams. Um, but whereas, like, yes, the Rays are really good at trading. I, I usually trust the Guardians to trade starting pitching at the right time too. Let's see here. A few more of these comments. Uh, are they thinking of transitioning? I don't know which of these players he's actually talking about. To utility role, I'm assuming he's talking about Manzardo. I don't. I wouldn't think so. I mean, the reports that we've heard so far about Manzardo is he's got a good glove over there at first base. Now Naylor has gotten himself pretty good over there too. I don't know. Like, to me, it's just a first base DH tandem. And with Naylor, I don't think it's like he's gonna get. This is a guy that the way he plays the game, and I think just his body, he's always gonna be beat up. I think having a a, a landing spot where he can DH some, play first base some, probably not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Pretty simple. I also they just need good hitters. That's it. Yeah, that you find find out where the And if they don't play shortstop, that's better too. Uh Trekkie says Savali over under 40 starts between now and the end of his contract. End of his control, I'm assuming he means. Would you go over under 40? I would I'll, I'd say over. I would say over. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a question with a guy that has injury an injury past. Uh, Michael says, thank you, Zach, for asking Tito yesterday. I truly wonder what the obsession with Straw is or the lack of obsession with Freeman. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, know I think there's I, a lot I, that I doesn't make sense. <laughs> that's why you asked the question. I know you don't right. know. But I also know I'm not going to get the answer. Like that's No, but it's still your job. And, you know, yeah. Tito... Even if, like, privately he's mad at you for setting him up to have to rip into a player, uh, guess what? It's not Zach's job to put Tito in a position to prop up his players. 
when it's when it makes sense, sure. Like ask about a player when he's playing well, or you can give the manager a chance to to say glowing things about a player. But that's not your job to do it when it doesn't warrant it. That sorry that so he can get mad at you, but that's not your job. And like, I don't know. I've got people telling me the sideline reporter went on the radio ripping me in this scenario. Like, look, it, it was a simple question about strategy. If you think <laughs> that that's not a legitimate question to ask, like, yeah, get a we're in the wrong grip. in the wrong city. I think are we not allowed to ask the manager strategic questions after a game? Why they did or didn't make certain decisions? That's the whole point of this shit. Like, it it boggles my mind. And the manager himself should. Welcome. Not be so comfortable in a position to think that it like it shouldn't be so formulaic where you just what'd you think of the starting pitcher? What'd you think of their starting pitcher? What'd you think of this hitter who had a couple singles? Like, yeah, right. It's not how it's supposed to work. And I know it does work a lot that way because Bally's needs their clips. And I, I will say, like, I've said this often, like a lot of times you're gonna get your best answers the day after. But you know what? I've asked this question before. I've asked this question before, I've asked this question before very recently. Like it's not shocking news here. So this was a scenario where this happened again, and I would like an explanation on why the decision was made to not pinch hit for him. It's well, not like this is not – I'm not asking anything unfair. No, no, absolutely not. And the thing is that this comes back and every to – every single fan is asking the same question. Every person watching on TV, everyone in the press box saying to each other, how are they not pinch hitting for straw here? So it's not – it shouldn't be shocking news. And I don't know. My job is to get the questions answered that people want answered. And a lot of times it is impossible to answer these sorts of questions, as I've said over and over on this podcast, for various reasons. And I understand that. And I understand everyone has a different agenda and different things that they need to do and different people they need to protect. And I know Terry Francona has those things, right? But if you're going to criticize a colleague because they asked a question about strategy and you could never ask that yourself, get over yourself. This also reflects on what we've said about the tough questions. Sometimes you get the answer and the question has been asked. It's just the answer sucked and you didn't agree with it. And so then we come on here and talk about it. You got the answer. It's just nobody agrees with the answer. So that's that's where we're at and that's where we'll leave it. Oh, what are your thoughts on Syndergaard? Look, he looked like he was headed toward a really, I mean, his overall numbers were fine. I just, you know, no strikeouts and two swings and misses is, doesn't predict future I, success. I well. started the show by saying old new Savali looks like old Savali. That's how Savali survived. <laughs> uh, an outing that probably was propped up by some good luck, good fortune. Who knows? Maybe one team looked at that and before the deadline today says, hey, maybe we'll take a shot on Syndergaard. Cleveland figured something out. They can't punt like that. <laughs> We'll see everyone back here in, like, what, 20 minutes? I don't know. Emergency podcast. You guys won't mind us. Bye. Bye.